Welcome to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast, a show where we discuss what's wrong with healthcare and talk with innovative companies disrupting the health insurance marketplace. Join us as we explore strategies to help employers lower healthcare costs and build a better health plan. Now here's your host, Michael Maneri. Hello, this is Michael Maneri, and I want to welcome everyone to the Reconstructing Healthcare podcast. Today, our guest is Tony Miller from Bind On Demand Health Insurance. Tony, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. I'm glad to be here and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Great. What we seek to do on this show is challenge the status quo and educate our audience on non-traditional methods to lower their health care costs and or improve value for their employees. So to get us started, I'm just going to read a, a brief bio about you and Bind so the audience has a little context about who they're listening to, and then we'll jump into it. Sound good? Sounds great. So Tony Miller is the co-founder and CEO of Bind, a startup that's shaking up health insurance by demystifying the health benefits experience with a bold new model called on-demand health insurance. The Bind plan puts power in consumers' hands and allows them to design their health benefits coverage on the go based on their life and needs. Tony's impatience and irreverence with the status quo led him to co-found Definity Health in the late 90s. He pioneered consumer-driven healthcare because he passionately believes the key to redesigning our broken healthcare system is changing the financing of healthcare. After Definity was sold to United Health Group in 2004, Tony went on to found and lead Lemhi Ventures, a VC fund dedicated to starting and growing disruptive businesses to redesign healthcare. As part of Lemhi, he launched Carol.com, a novel way to connect consumers' pocketbook to their provider choices. Tony Miller's passion for healthcare system to be designed by consumers comes from his mother, the matriarch of a blue-collar family who would often tell physicians how she wanted all of her children to be treated while referencing her ever-present Gray's Anatomy Handbook. All right, Tony, that's a good uh, background about you. Anything I missed there? That was pretty comprehensive. So yeah, it's funny to hear people talk about your journey, but yeah, that encapsulates everything I've done in healthcare. Right on. Well, well, Tony, you appear to, to be a serial healthcare entrepreneur. So do you want to tell us just a little bit more about, you know, your, your personal story and, and really how you came to launch Bind? So, you know, my healthcare story, actually, a lot of it, my sister wants to take credit for it. My sister is a physician and she's uh, uh, two years older than I am. And I had gotten accepted to medical school at, where she was attending at the University of Minnesota after college and was thinking about going there. And so I attended some classes with her and this is in the late, or excuse me, mid nineties. What happened is, you know, I, I attended the classes and I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't think I really want to do this. And so that's what led me to journey into the business side of healthcare. Cause I, I didn't know what else to do. I'd been trained to go to med school. So mm-hmm. luckily I got a job at United healthcare when they were just United healthcare. And I really cut my teeth on managed care in their very early nineties uh, with them as they were growing. And so I really learned health insurance from the ground up, working inside, you know, what now today is the, at least this country's largest health insurer. And that journey actually led me all the way eventually to start Bind. And Bind actually is the way I think about it is the 30-year arc I've had in healthcare. And the thesis behind why we started it at the fund was we wanted to disrupt the insurance products that we currently are using. And uh, the thesis really is kind of three things that are what we think are fundamentally flawed about the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. The first thing is disease doesn't recognize the tax year. So this kind of annual concept of funding coverage for mo- for most consumers via their employer-sponsored health insurance, you know, is this annual thing tied to your employment, right? It just creates this very perverse incentive to not view a long-term uh, structure of health mm-hmm. and kind of creates a broken system. I think the second thing that we recognize is we, we say disease doesn't recognize part A, part B, part D. So this idea of compartmentalizing healthcare into the service categories of healthcare, inpatient services, physician services, drugs, and so forth, is really silly. When someone has a condition like fibromyalgia, they think about all the services that they're going to need to solve that condition, which would combine different parts of those service categories. Mm-hmm. And so you have to reconstruct the entire idea of how you would organize care delivery across conditions. So that was kind of the second thesis is how do you make that happen? And then I think the third is, and it was built into the opening remarks, we start talking about this industry and the term we are labeled with as people is patients. The whole industry, in fact, that they use that word to describe kind of how we as consumers walk through the system just shows you how perverse it really is. And at the end of the day, we think what people should be doing is consuming health. And to do that, we've got to change this illness burden treatment system 
into something very different than what it is today, where we're actually having the opportunity to go out and consume things that will make us healthier. And sometimes that is illness treatment, but a lot of times it could be things that prevent uh, the onset of chronic illnesses or, or the other things that unfortunately affect us as human beings. So those were the three fundamental flaws that we said, you know, if you really wanted to fix healthcare, you have to redesign those uh, root, root problems to get to a solution. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, the, the one thing that resonates with from what you just said is, you know, consuming, you know, health, because really it's, it's, it's not a health care system. It's a sick care system. It's very profitable to, to treat sick people. That's well, just like, to show you how perverse it really is, Michael. So it's not, not only that, that, that it's this, and that's why I call it the illness burden treatment system, because mm-hmm. it isn't just that you're sick, but the sicker you are, the more money is available. And even if you look at the way Medicare funds, and Medicare creates the RAF scores and it says, well, if you have higher acuity, I'll give you more revenue. So the actual, if you think about how perverse that incentive is, it says if I actually had sicker people, I have an opportunity to make more money. So there's this incentive to actually, you know, create higher risk burden in the, in the actual populations because I could get more revenue. And really what we should have done, and like a simple example of how to twist that around would be, no, what I want to do is I want to pay you on the change in risk score not you know, look at the acuity of a population. I want to see what you're doing to actually change the risk score so that it's lower. And we should have built reimbursement that way, but we didn't. And so we have a system that is really, you know, un- unfortunately uh, pernicious about what is it we really want to consume as, as consumers. And to add to that, you know, I mean, there is this whole notion of moving from fee-for-service to, you know, value-based reimbursement. And as, as, as much as you hear hospitals and traditional carriers talk about that. The bottom line is healthcare is a business. And I really find it hard to believe that hospitals are going to engage in anything that would drive down their per patient revenue. It's interesting that you say that. You know, I think if you go read like the advisory board puts out a newsletter every day and they're interviewing hospital CEOs across the country. And they say things that I think if the average consumer was listening to them, they would find it abhorrible about some of the things that are said, which is, well, you know, I can't go, I can't go full into value-based healthcare because I got to protect the balance sheet of my hospital, right? Which is, again, built on this cost-based reimbursement system where there is higher acuity. And so the challenge we all face is, you know, everyone talks about, you know, crossing this chasm into the value-based world. I think one of the problems with the design of the ACO structure is what became the kind of the organizing principle for ACOs in most markets are these hospital-based systems. And so they think about it more as how do I create referral, you know, capture so that I make sure I'm filling this fixed cost capacity of my bed system, right? And if you and I were as consumers designing population health, I assure you a hospital would not be at the center of that population health, you know, model. And so I think the whole thing we've set ourselves upon in the ACA that kind of spawned the, this ACO model is, is a little misdirected and actually not consistent with the way we actually use the healthcare system, which led us to, to, to actually start BIND. And, and we use the system in a very episodic and transient way. And another version of that is on demand. And so if you could actually create a financing structure that married to the on-demand nature of how we actually use healthcare delivery, we think we could revolutionize the way the system actually stands up value. Let's dive into that. What is the BIND product and service and what problems, specific problems are you attempting to solve with it? Well, so the problem we're really trying to solve is how do you make health insurance easy and affordable and something that works for me in my everyday life? So that, I mean, right now I would tell you, given the net promoter scores that health insurance companies have, that we have, we haven't accomplished that mission at the consumer level in the industry. So we wanted to make it easy and affordable for people. And so the first thing you have to do is and I think this is what's so interesting about health insurance is you got to kind of throw away all of the old notions you have about, you know, how the system should be constructed. And for years, the way the system's been constructed is we design coverage. We then map that coverage to a network or think of that as care. And then we hand consumers an ID card and say, go consume. And we'll hide the rules and the, that are all hidden that you can't see in the Byzantine structures in terms of what I'll pay for, what I'll not until, you know, after you actually consume something. And I think that problem doesn't allow the system to be affordable or easy. And so what we observed is consumers really don't want to buy a doctor or a hospital. 
they actually are dealing with a condition, diabetes, you know, knee pain, whatever it might be. And then they're trying to solve that condition. And the, what they really want to find is what's the most effective care pathway or treatment path for me to be on so I can actually solve this condition. What they would like to know then is across my market, how do those treatment pathways actually get manifested in the care delivery organizations? Who does what? How good are they at it? How many times have they done it? Based on that, you know, what would my coverage pay for or not pay for? So what Bind did is basically reverse the entire structure of how we built coverage to care to condition which in the old model. And what we've done is said, let's start with conditions, map conditions to care, map care to coverage. And then when you do that, you actually create this flexible insurance structure that says pay for only what you need right now. And what we need right now is we want protection against, you know, the unforeseen, you know, disease events that all of us are scared about, you know, cancers or immune problem or a broken leg or some other form of trauma. And we want to make sure I'm covered for those things. I also want to get make sure I'm covered for the things that make me, you know, aware of how my health states are happening. So my preventive care, my age sex specific cancer screenings, like that should all be in my, you know, core coverage. But then, you know, what I really want to do is as I'm using the system, can you actually make the system smart and show me what it is I should be doing differently based on my condition be these treatment paths and then tell me who the best providers are by, you know, assigning a quality value and a price value to their performance. And so what Bind did is built this very novel insurance structure that flexes across conditions, maps those conditions to treatment paths that solve the condition quickly and easily, and then map those treatment paths to what are the pra actual practice patterns of providers in a market. Mm -hmm. And then based on how they perform, assign a price tag. So and that, that price tag is built by looking at a longitudinal episodic analysis of a provider's performance across a condition, examining complication rate, you know, readmission rates for things that cause that. You're looking at, in some cases, some patient reported outcome around what they've achieved and then assigning to the consumer a very simple copay that they, they have to pay to go access those services. And so what bind eliminated for consumers is this concept of there's no deductibles anywhere in a buying plan and there's no coinsurance. So the consumers are not forced to do any kind of fuzzy math in figuring out like what's something going to cost. We tell them upfront exactly what they'll have to pay for any given procedure with any given provider. Then when they need more coverage, we give them the ability to buy more coverage if they need it. That coverage looks very similar to their core in terms of the economics. There's a premium associated with it and a simple copay associated with what they're trying to consume. And when we show this to consumers, they finally say things like, oh my gosh, you've made health insurance look like my mobile phone coverage plan. I buy a core plan, I need more data, I buy more data, I need to add a line, I add a line. And so we've created this analogous view of something they currently use and understand and made health insurance look like that. Got it, all right, so you, you said a lot there. So let me dive into a couple of those things. So we can kind of expand on them. So first of all, I get the, the concept of, of corn bot and, and sort of a buy-up, but you mentioned there's no deductible and in, in coinsurance and just co-pays, which, which really sounds refreshing. But co-pays in the traditional sense are really part of the problem, right? Because they're hiding the real price of things from the consumer. But that doesn't sound like you have a traditional co-pay structure. So tell us how the copay structure within the bind plan is different from like a traditional HMO or PPO product. Yeah, I'm glad you grabbed that point because it is very different. The reason we grabbed and used copays versus some other techniques, if you think about why what health insurance is trying to do with either deductibles, coinsurance, or copays, is they're trying to figure out how do I make sure the consumer, you know, is contributing to the actuarial value of something that needs to be consumed. Coinsurance, the idea there is, you know, if the price is increasing, the consumer will then, you know, make sure that they don't want, you know, they don't want to pay 20% of something that's 10000 when they could pay 20% of something that's 5000 The problem is consumers never know, is it 5000 or 10000 in a current plan? So the idea, and really that's what the insurance function should be, which is, you know, making all of these very complex things that have wide variation in terms of their costs. But insurance should smooth that variation out for me in a way that's simple for me to understand. And so that's why we use what we call smart copays, where take, for example, you've got a kid with otitis media, which, you know, in, in consumer parlance would be an earache. 
And okay. what we would then do is show them, you know, if you have this earache as a condition, you search for that on, on the app at Bind, and it would show you how it's covered. And so how it covers is a smart copay structure. So covered at a virtual visit is free in a Bind plan because that's the right clinical entry for that condition. It's $15 if you go to a you know, convenience clinic. It's going to be somewhere between $30 and $50 if you go to primary care. It's going to be somewhere between $50 and $70 for specialty care. It's going to be $150 for urgent and $500 for emergency room. We take the condition, we map that condition to where is it best solved clinically and, and, and quickly, and then you know, nudge consumers via these price tags that change. When I talked about a primary care having a range, what we do is we actually look at the performance of primary care across episodes. And then depending on how those, you know, they, how they either upcode or charge more for these visits or they don't solve the visit quite quickly, you know, they might have a higher copay. And that higher copay is really a derivative of the fact that the underlying care is going to cost more for the whole group. So what we've done is use the smart copay structure as a proxy for figuring out where is there a good clinical value and how do you reward consumers by making that copay less for them when they go use something that is really working well as a, as a part of the system. So the smart copay structure is very, very different. It isn't $20 for every primary care visit. It isn't you know, $60 for every specialty. It literally varies by condition, by provider, and you know that in advance by using either the customer service call centers a bind or what's very simple, just an app, the way you would do an app for almost anything else that you consume. In the beginning, you pointed out, you know, that we currently have this structure of coinsurance and deductible, which is, you know, supposed to allow for the consumer to have skin in the game. But the, the fact of the matter is coinsurance and high deductible health plans don't work as far as incentivizing and creating a consumer behavior. They just don't because people don't have access to price and they certainly don't have access to quality information. So what you've done is essentially incorporated really a, a quality metric into the, 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 the clinical care path of what's the best quality and appropriate location to go and then created a dollar incentive within the dynamic copay structure for employees to make better decisions. Yep, you've got it. And I think one of the things that uh, the quality data is, you know, unfortunately, we, none of us want it. We're not where we all want it to be yet. So what we've done is worked in partnership with one of our partners, United Health Group, on a program they've been doing for 20 years called Premium Designation, where they've been taking a data science view of what is the quality of performance of providers, what is their their clinical efficiency of performance of a provider, and then giving them a designation about are they performing better than the market. And so we use that alongside of these copays to signal the consumers, yeah, this provider has, you know, a premium designation from one of the biggest insurance companies in America where they are a higher quality, you know, more cost effective provider. And you feel you can feel good about the fact that even though they, their copay is less, it doesn't mean that they're cheaper. It actually means they're better in healthcare. So that was one of the heuristics, you know, in, in a consumer world, we think cheaper price generally might mean a lower quality product. In healthcare, it's almost the reverse. Sometimes the cheaper price is actually the higher quality of care. And so we had to make sure we get a quality signal into those copay structures as well to help consumers navigate that system. You know, just one quick thing on the deductible side. There's two problems with deductibles. So the first is it mixes loss events together. So if you're in a, you know, it's January 1 and you're in a high deductible health plan and you've got diabetes, uh, your kid has uh, the flu and you're, you know, let's say your wife has, uh, is pregnant and she has maternity visits. What happens is all of those loss events gets mixed into the deductible and we're not providing the right kind of coverage for what it is we actually need. So what we've said is deductibles shouldn't mix loss events together because for that diabetic, you know, day one on January 1st, their AV value of their plan is zero because they've got to go meet a deductible. And that's when people start to unnecessarily blunt needed, needed care. And then they wait and wait and wait and the condition worsens. And then they go use more expensive you know, therapies, more expensive places to get therapy. And then we're all paying for what is a bad plan design in making consumers do things that aren't, aren't smart from an actuarial perspective. So by creating a smart copay structure and having every, everything have its own specific loss payment, sometimes it's zero and sometimes it's higher than that. It could be up to $1,000 in a buying plan. Then you're, you're better directing consumers how to find value in their benefit plan. And so just along that lines, and let's, let's take the case of diabetes. So in a bind plan, 
you know, theoretically for a patient with diabetes, right? We don't want a cost share to discourage someone from, you know, getting their testing supplies and taking their meds. So is that an instance where an employer could design, you know, certain events like that for, for a diabetic where there is no cost share? Yep, you've got what's really interesting inside core. We do exactly that kind of program you just described. We give it a fancy term. We call it a condition-focused program. But we take diabetes, for example, and we're doing this with Medtronic, where what we're going to do is we profile those clinics that actually are providing a holistic, you know, year of diabetic care for the individual, which might include all of their, you know, insulin, which includes constant glucose monitoring, which also has a nutritional coach that's helping you figure out how to better, you know, build a diet that for this condition. It works with same-day office visits so that if something should arise and you need to see someone, you can get in quickly and see somebody. So we build this entire profile around the condition about what, what would the best form of care delivery look like. And then we actually credential the underlying network about who actually performs diabetic you know, care that way and can actually bundle and array their services this way. And then what we do is we tell consumers, if you go to these clinics, those clinics are $0 copay clinics. And so we show them, but, and, and what we're doing is we're saying your consumer behavior by getting someone who's delivering the care better is driving better actuarial value for the pool. And so that's where you're using this all, instead of creating, you know, reward points as a way for people to adopt healthy behavior, you get them to choose, you know, their providers differently and you make sure they pay less when they do so because it's providing value for all of us who are subsidizing each other in this health insurance game. Got it. So, I mean, ultimately, I mean, this is really about aligning incentives with consumers, you know, in a lot of different ways. Well, and then the second thing is it's also aligning incentives for providers. So what we do for those clinics that are doing these, this credential view of, uh, of a condition-focused program, like think about where disease management sits currently in health insurance. Most of it is this bolt-on program, right, that says, Oh, I've got, and I don't want to name names, but I've got this, this you know, I've got this diabetic management coach who's going to call me and tell me what to do, right? And it's not connected to my provider. Disease management belongs in the care delivery and care provision part of healthcare. It doesn't belong as a bolt-on to the health insurance company. And so what Bind does is it actually reimburses those providers more for delivering those sets of services. So we're going to start changing the way the reimbursement structures work for providers so that they're not a slave to this fee-for-service system that hasn't rewarded them for doing things that aren't in the CPT4 book, but add tons of both actuarial and clinical value to the patient. Well, I, and I think what that speaks to is, you know, one of the major problems with the current system is we've marginalized the role of the primary care physician and, you know, all the money's going into specialty when we really need to flip that on its head because in order for our healthcare system to get fixed, the role of the primary care physician needs to increase twofold. You know, there's a good friend of mine uh, who works at Virginia Mason and he said to me one time, what's really wrong with healthcare is we've put all the dollars in the wrong places. And we put them all into this high cost, high intensive way to deliver care. And we've got to actually flip the dollars on its head. And those should be seen as failures of the system to deliver value, right? You know, that's really what should be happening. A hospital visit should be seen as a failure in delivering, you know, condition-based value to a consumer. And you have to reorient the dollars. And, And I think it's probably more than twofold. It might be fourfold that you have to actually shift the dollars from this high cost specialist intensive view of healthcare into primary care fascinating. So, and you guys are doing, addressing that with trying to focus where the disease management should be, because clearly disease management at the TPA carrier level has been an absolute failure. Yeah. The engagement rates are really low. The industry constantly is going back and forth, trying to prove its ROI. And when you go review some of these services and you see how consumers rate them, they rate them very low on Google, you know, any of the, even the wellness ones or the, some of the disease management ones. And the challenge really is they, they expect that disease management, when I have a disease, I have a condition, and I seek care, shouldn't the provider be thinking about, you know, why? And that's who they want to have the relationship with and to try to figure out, like, how do I manage this condition better? And unfortunately, we, we didn't design systems of care that thought about that function because they couldn't figure out a way to get it reimbursed. And I think, you know, Tim Cook said something very interesting from Apple last year. And he said something, and I'll paraphrase it, but it was, hey, the one thing that Apple doesn't have to worry about is we don't have to worry about reimbursement. 
We just worry about what's in the best interest of the patient or the consumer, and then we're going to design a program around that. And when you hear some company like Apple, you know, recognize that I'm not going to be a slave to the reimbursement system to design what's right for consumers, you know disruption is coming. And what I worry about is these providers who, who continue to defend and worry about kind of the status quo, and I've built my entire reimbursement models against fee-for-service. It's like, sorry, we built it against the wrong thing, and if you don't change, you're just going to, you're going to be disrupted too because you've got to change because the system is no longer affordable. And even worse, it's not performing at the, at the levels we want, which is I really want to figure out a way where I could consume something that's healthy and not just get treated for when I'm sick. As I understand it, within the the bind application or talking with a you know customer service individual, um, the consumer is going to be given examples and options of where they can go. And let's just use an MRI as an example, where you know you go to this location, it'll cost you X. You go to another location for an MRI, it'll cost you X plus you know twenty percent, and you go to a third, it'll cost you you know X plus fifty percent. Is that correct? Yeah. So we, you've done exactly what the, so the smart copay structure actually does price uh, high, you know, high tech imaging for consumers and, and actually all diagnostics, including labs. And what we do is, you know, it's silly. They take what Anthem did, which is we're no longer going to pay for MRIs in the hospital. Well, that's kind of a blunt force trauma of trying to figure out which a very you know pervasive problem, which is, site of service gets attached to all of these additional fees that aren't really adding a ton of value, right? So that's the facility-based fee problem. And so what Bind does, instead of saying, no, I'm not going to make them, you know, then no longer covered, you can go get it covered in the facility-based MRI if that's what you choose. But that one's probably going to cost you $1,200 as a consumer on the copay versus if you go to a freestanding MRI clinic, that might be $100. And we know based on what consumers will do is they'll say, well, look, if I can save you know, $200 or up to $1,000 by switching my behavior. Yeah, you've now sent me a signal where I'm listening. And we know, take MRI, there's very little quality differences between what is actually happening, you know, with the machine when you're, um, you know, taking in the MRI. And then, you know, it's different when it's actually read. But the actual, you know, taking of the MRI is something that is more commodity-based and should be priced that way in advance so the consumer knows where can I find value. And we do that in a buying plan. And the other thing that this does, I mean, one of the biggest issues that we have is the lack of price transparency. And so, and I think that's one of my biggest criticisms of PPO or HMO provider networks is there is no price transparency. But through the copay structure, you are, you are showing, I mean, the consumer really doesn't, it doesn't matter to the consumer what it actually costs behind the veil of a provider network. They're concerned with what they're paying. But through this dynamic yep. copay structure, you are introducing price transparency. We don't call it price transparency because of what you said. It's actually a derivative of the actual underlying cost. We, we describe it as price certainty to the consumer because it's really what they care about, which is just tell me what I have to pay. Because then even take an HMO or a PPO plan today, they eventually get this bill and then on a deductible plan, it says, hey, this is not a bill. We're just explaining your benefits. And here's what, here's what the hospital charged, but then here's what we deducted. Here's what your insurance is thinking it's going to pay. Here's what the, you know, and so it sends this very confusing signal to the consumer that they don't know what to do with. And it was funny because Intuit did this study of this, you know, 20 years ago. And what they found is consumers take those EOBs and they put them right in the circular file. Where they throw them right in the trash because it's just like, I don't even know how to, what to make of this. So what Bind decided to do is just say, no, it's not price transparency, it's price certainty. When you get this service, you're going to pay 40 bucks. When you get this service, you're going to pay 85 bucks. And that's really what the consumer wants to know. We eventually tell them like that $85 service you paid for was really $1,300. And here's what the insurance paid for. And here's what the provider charged. And we'll, we'll eventually show that to them, but we don't ever show them that. And the reason you can't do price transparency in healthcare is because we don't assign a price to a good in healthcare until after we've consumed it. So uh, I always found it funny that these transparency companies were going to try to make consumers shop in advance with something they, the consumer has no ability to do it because if you've ever been inside a provider, you know, medical billing and coding doesn't happen until after the visit. That's right. That's and then right. when is it done after the visit, then we apply the managed care discount. Then we apply the benefit differential. So all this other fuzzy math, which the consumer can't control. Right. 
And so there's just no way to do that. So the entity that can control that and who has the data and, and to do this is an insurance company. And so what we did is we machine learned all of that practice pattern to actually assemble, you know, a mean average price for how this provider performs every condition treatment pair. And so then you can actually assign a proxy for what's going to happen via this smart copay. This obviously has, has the potential to address a lot of the waste you know, in the system from all the price variation, but there's a lot of waste in prescription drugs. You know, you can have the same drug and have a, you know, 100% price variance from one pharmacy to the next. You can also have in a, in a you know, similar therapeutic class, you know, a thousand percent price variation for drugs that essentially do the same thing. And so are you able to leverage this technology, the dynamic copay structure to pharmacy as well? Yeah, I wish your listeners could actually have a visual right now because I'd show you the app and we do exactly what you just said. So uh, we actually can show you the price variation in your local community for a drug across your pharmacies. So and then what we do is we say, look, this is this one's going to cost you five. This one's going to cost you 15. This one's going to cost you 50. And what's interesting is that's not a consistent phenomenon. Right. So that's not like, oh, I can just assume that then. CVS is always better than Walmart or vice versa, right? They, they change based on the drug. So you have to take every drug. You actually then actually have to do this real time because the pharmacies can have the ability to change the prices of, of their drugs depending on their, you know, their, how many they have, their current, you know, inventory, so on and so forth. So we actually, the guy leading this, uh, give him a little shout out, Sean Young. Um, Sean Young built the $4 generic program at Walmart, came in and helped us build this price transparency view of, pharmacy inside a buying benefit plan. And the one thing that the reason we did this is if you take a condition based view, you never carve out pharmacy as this separate thing. Pharmacy becomes this integrated condition based coverage model where you'd have to then say, well, as part of solving fibromyalgia, I need anti-inflammatory drugs. And then what we do is help that consumer find where to find that drug the best and cheapest, and then compare that with how they find the best and cheapest you know, primary care for their uh, condition as well. So it becomes this whole view of how a consumer manages their condition and how buying comes alongside of them and helps them find value across all of the, you know, the inputs they need to solve the condition, including drugs. I want to move on to what's covered because, you know, today's insurance plans have really evolved to cover everything under the sun, which most people like myself don't need, right? So I end up being severely overinsured. But there are other folks like one of my colleagues whose husband struggles with uh, chronic conditions and, you know, their family consumes a lot of health care. So explain to us this notion of only paying for what you need in an era of, you know, ACA mandated coverage requirements. Sure. So, you know, when buying started uh, two and a half years ago, building this product, the ACA was this was before the, the last presidential election, we knew the ACA was going to remain in place. So we designed with the reality of that as the law of the land. And so BIND is completely ACA compliant in the core coverage. So we meet minimum essential coverage, we meet EHB, we meet the affordability test via the co-pays. The way BIND works is, and what people lose is, is lose sight of is health insurance is the first shared economy. We're all sharing each other's, you know, burdens and responsibilities, and we're all contributing together to make this more affordable for everybody. But you've highlighted one of the problems. That, that's where it started when we first did major medical indemnity. And as we did the HMO era and PPO and managed care, we started throwing more and more things. Some of those things don't have insurance properties, but we're trying to use an insurance shared subsidization model as a way to cover it. And so what we've done is is we've actually changed, and, and the problem with the traditional plan model is, what we said is we're gonna create shared subsidy with each other, we're gonna treat all conditions equal subsidy, and we're gonna treat all providers equal subsidy. And what Bind says is no, that's not right. We're gonna change subsidy across myocardial infarction versus toe fungus. We're going to change performance of, you know, share, subsidizing knee arthroscopy between the you know focus factory who delivers at six thousand dollars and the random hospital who decides they think they can do it and they do it at twenty eight thousand. So what we're doing is we're changing subsidy in that shared economy across conditions and we're rating which conditions do we all want to make sure we're all sharing and paying for each other's services and we're driving more of that subsidy together, making a richer core benefit by doing that. And then what we're doing is changing the subsidy that you pay for where things are wasteful. 
where you know the pricing is three to four times what it should be, that then you're going to have to pay more. Or this is clinical utilization that really is unnecessary, right? Like you should try some other things first before you try this thing. And so by doing that, you're remixing the entire version of the shared economy under a traditional plan into this on-demand structure. And what's so interesting is we've tested this with consumers and now consumers using it. When they have to buy this additional insurance, they don't complain. They don't say, oh my gosh, there's someone's, first of all, they've, they've saved money in their wages because buying plans are generally cheaper to buy than what their current plans are. B, they had no deductibles to meet to date. They just had simple copays. And then they recognize, well, actually, if I do go find the best in-market performer for this treatment that I'm looking for, buying makes that very affordable to me because what's happened in the past and what we're taking advantage of is the previous system funded all of these non-performers equally. And what we're saying is, no, we're going to take the really good performers and fund them with more subsidy and the non-performers with less subsidy. And so if you go use the best one in a market, it's still very affordable to the consumer. And they appreciate that and have been thankful that you still made healthcare very affordable. And we still also, you know, we have the traditional out-of-pocket maximum limiter. So even if they had multiple, you know, conditions where they needed to buy these additional insurance coverage modules, they, they eventually tap out and they don't have to pay anymore. And under a buying plan, what we show people actuarially is that kind of that 80 to 100 percent, you know, claimant category, which is driving most of the cost, actually does better under a buying plan by getting them to change their decisions to higher quality treatment endpoints and higher quality providers. So, so that makes sense to me, but I'm a visual person. So let's use an example of something that's not covered on core and that would be an add-on and kind of take us through the, you know, what the consumer would, would see in that process. Yeah. So we'll just stick with the orthopedic one. So let's just take the, the knee pain example. So I have knee pain. What Bind will show you is, and if you search, I have knee pain, I want to find a specialist. The first thing Bind would show you in the app is, well, if you have this knee pain condition, here's how we show them treatment path. So knee pain can be solved with physical therapy of the knee. That costs $40. You could have knee pain injection for, uh, you know, corticoid steroid or some kind of pain reliever. That's going to cost you $65. You could get a chiropractor of the knee. That might cost you $50. And then you could get a knee MRI. And depending on where you go, that could be anywhere from $150 to $850. Depending, it gets back to that. Where is that MRI being done at? And then what Bind knows when you start doing and buying those services, or even if you search for them, we actually send you a notification to your phone that says it appears you're headed for uh, a service that might require additional insurance. And that additional insurance is a knee arthroscopy. And then what we show them is we actually show them, here's knee arthroscopy at, you know, Acme Hospital. It's going to cost you this. It includes the physician services. It includes the, you know, all the the surgical pack, the actual, you know, physical device itself and so forth. So they see like what's covered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, all the other stuff gets covered in core, your post and your pre and post operative stuff is covered in your core plan. And then they'll see that the acne hospital cost me $800 copay and another $1,200 in premium that I have to pay, which is then spread out over the remaining parts of their paycheck. Or if I go to high performing, you know, integrated medical group who does it in the ASC, that one only cost me $800. I have no copay and I only have an $800 additional premium I have to pay. And so what we do is we get consumers to see that, oh, that's a very affordable way for me to have knee arthroscopy. I'm going to pick that $800 one. What's behind the scenes is that $800 one is being delivered at $6,000 where that hospital, Acme Hospital one that was being delivered at $18,000. And so the consumer saves about $1,000, but the plan saves $10,000. And so by changing the subsidy and making that subsidy change, now what's happened is because we've eliminated $10,000 of wasteful spend, we are able to redirect subsidy into back into core, into cancer, into, into myocardial infarction to make healthcare more affordable for the insurance things we're all worried about. But where we can plan for care, Bind helps you navigate how to find value. And when you find value, the rest of us find value in the plan as well. I mean, really, it's a, it's a shared savings model. The employee made the, the, a decision that helps the plan. Uh, it's still a, a quality you know, treatment pathway. And you know, they, they benefit from the lower you know, out-of-pocket expense. I'm so glad you said that because one of the things that, we've, that we talk about with providers when they work with us is they say, well, I, got, you know, I want to do a shared savings approach. And I said, we always tell them, look, the missing 
leg of the stool in the Medicare shared savings program is no one ever shared the savings with the consumers who changed their decisions. In a exactly. buying plan, we share the savings with consumers. They need to benefit. Take, take the Cumberland School District, which put this in for us, into their school district. And I met with the teachers and we talked about why are we putting this plan in? And we were going to save the school district about $200,000 uh, by putting the buying plan in. And what the superintendent said is, and here's what I'm going to do with that $200,000. A portion of those savings are going to go back into teachers' wages. And so the teachers are all like, yeah, finally, I don't want this wasteful, you know, bloated healthcare system eating my wages anymore. I want some of the shared savings coming back to me. And they get that in two forms in mind. One, they get a cheaper, more affordable, you know, benefit plan to start with. And B, the plan sponsor, in this case, the school district, is actually going to share some of the savings they get back into wages, which is really the trifecta win for consumers. And that is the problem with a lot of the ACO models out there. One, it's an insured carrier product. and the shared savings just goes back to the providers of the insurance carrier. There's no shared savings with the employer and with the employees. Yeah, which is, which is one of the reasons that model doesn't really take root. And so we, we one of the core tenants inside Vine, whenever we talk to someone, we always tell people, one of, the, one of the things that you must do when you work with Vine, part of the savings we generate have to return to consumers in some form or fashion, period, end of story. Consumers, this is this should be a consumer-driven system. And if it was a consumer-driven system, you'd share savings with consumers. You know, one of the things you did, you know, mention there is that, you know, for this buy-up coverage, right, it is going to be an additional premium. So that's really a new sort of concept, right? You know, most of the time people are, are, are looking at a fixed premium. And so this introduces the, the notion of adding add-on coverage and there's going to be a copay plus an additional premium. And as far as how the employee is going to pay for that additional premium, is it simply a, a payroll deduction just like, you know, their other uh, core, you know, payroll deduction for their coverage? Yeah, it's a great question. One of the things that not just this entire data science structure of how we built the plan is novel, but the actual product model and the regulatory review we had to do to actually make health coverage on demand was very novel. We actually hold that pretty close to the company as a trade secret about how we've done it. Um, we share that with customers in terms of you know their legal review that they have to do. One of the things that we thought was very important is how do you, can you make a buying plan kind of mirror the tax effectiveness of an HSA plan without the deductible? And so what we figured out is, yes, we can actually have these add-ins be viewed as additional coverage and use premium, the premium tax savings as a way to make this work. So what happens is you buy one of these adding coverages, it is tax preferred, so you get to buy that as pre-tax income. And then what we do is we create, uh, just like you buy, when you buy health insurance coverage today, you have this you know annual stream of payments you're supposed to make every paycheck associated with that coverage. What Pine does is take every add-in and we work with plan sponsors to design how do you spread out that premium across, you know, is it 10 payroll periods? Is it 26 payroll periods? And depending on the size of the add-in, they have different durations in terms of how many payroll periods. We create a payroll max limiter. So we never, we never, and so the plan sponsor says, I never want you to eat more than $50 additional per paycheck from someone, or maybe it's $100, depending on the, you know, the wage class of that employer. And then what's so interesting about Bind is as long as they remain in a Bind plan, you could buy an add-in in December and you could actually be paying for that add-in in your next policy period into the add-in structure. So we're starting to eliminate one of those fundamental flaws, which disease doesn't recognize the tax year. So, right. and we get all the gaming happening right now in a current benefit design, right? So people, you know, underutilize, you know, before they're deductible and then they overutilize after they're deductible because they know it's going to reset in a little bit, Right. Right. So we're trying to stream out that behavior by creating this loan infrastructure that allows us to go across policy periods inside the add-in category. Yeah, I like that. I think it's it's a really innovative approach to doing that. Let's talk about member experience for a second. You know, people are, I mean, this is so different than what exists today. You know, people are used to getting a paper benefit summary or benefit brochure at open enrollment that lists their deductible, their co-insurance and their co-pays. And so with Bind, I mean, nothing's fixed. It, it completely, you know, depends on, on where people go and what sort yeah. of, you know, conditions they have and care. Because this is such a different paradigm, I mean, how do you even start to educate employees about, you know, how this works? Do you know what's so crazy about this, Michael? 
and we have videos now of it because people don't believe us. So we, we actually take videos now of open enrollment and all the benefit fairs. And we show people, here's what's so amazing. We Americans experience the U.S. healthcare system via our conditions. And when someone finally shows a consumer, I'm going to show you how you can get the most cost-effective care and treatment for your condition. They're like, this is what I've been looking for. And my doctor doesn't even tell me this stuff. And so what's so interesting is we, the industry, talk to ourselves all the time with these very complicated things. We create an entire verbiage around three-letter acronyms to talk to each other about value-based care or, you know, episodic performance and blah, 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 right? All of us speak in this lingo that the average consumer is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, but when you said fibromyalgia, I know what that is because I've been diagnosed with it. And I really want to figure out, like, how do I solve my inflammation flare-ups? Yep. Like, so they get that level of... Uh, when we go talk to them and then when we show them this, so we, we tested it, you know, a year and a half before we actually put it in place. And it always tested off the charts in terms of consumers saying, I want to see this. We've done it in some choice environments. One of those was a company called Slumberland and uh, they're a retailer uh, of furniture and strip malls. And they left their legacy CDHP plan in place. They put us in side by side. We were slightly favored in terms of premium on the core compared to the CDHP plan. And 70% of the consumers jumped and switched into a buying plan. So if you've been in benefits, you know a 70% shift does not happen overnight on a new product. Mm-hmm. And so it just goes to show you this product is intuitive to consumers because that is how they think about the healthcare they need via their condition. And finally, someone's organized it that way. There's no benefit summary, really. I mean, it's... it's- no. You have to engage with the app or you have to engage with with a concierge service member. We were at an enrollment meeting yesterday for a company that's rolling it out in the Twin Cities. And a guy from the back raised his hand at the end of this. And he said, I've been sitting in the meeting and I I just want to I just need to ask this question because I'm not sure other people have the same question. But he's like, why wouldn't everyone select this plan? And we all kind of chuckled and we said, yeah, we don't know why anyone would select the, other, the old plans compared to this one. This one actually works with the way you use the healthcare system. And so are, are you guys tracking engagement with your current members? I mean, how, how many people in yeah. the population are, are engaging with the app and, and, and what frequency? Yeah, so we do do that. I'll highlight one of our customers, but other than that, I'll give you averages. So one of our customers today, 80% of their and it's a carrier replace. So it's 80% of their employees who have coverage through Bind have downloaded the app and have actually used it. 80%. Wow. And if you ever talk to any other health engagement tool, they're, help, they're happy if they get in the 20s, right? Like we got 20% of people to do something. We've got 80% of the people because we, and again, you know, the 20% who I haven't downloaded their app and, 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 and used it for us once is probably the people who aren't using healthcare, right? right? And they haven't found a need to actually use the on-demand nature of Bind. But even if you're getting a drug, a script, we're going to teach you, like, here's where you should go. Here's which pharmacy in your market is going to give you that lowest cost price. Why wouldn't you want to know that as a consumer? You'd want to know that if you could save, even if it was $10. For consumers, if I could save $10, and if it's if it literally is just I have to walk across the street to go to the other pharmacy, I'll save the 10 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. So we're averaging about 55% of the enrollees have downloaded the app and have used it. We think we're going to keep driving higher and higher penetrations as people learn more and more of that. We're just starting the condition focus program thing where we're actually getting consumers to switch. In the add-in category, we have switched 60% of where the consumer was originally going to go into a different place once they saw their options were different and they went and chose a higher value option under the buying plan. So we have switching happening. We have engagement happening. And the plan is working the way we had intended with consumers. One thing to clarify, you know, it sounds like, you know, you guys are willing to be offered alongside another carrier. I mean, not or, or another TPA. I mean, not everyone's willing to do that. So is that correct? Yeah. You know, what's funny is we have a Fortune 500 company who's asked us to carry or replace them. And what we said is that's a bad idea. And I said, taking away choice from consumers just starts off on a bad foot with consumers. Let's just leave the legacy plan in place, put bind in next to it. And over time, if we've proven our value propositions, we're going to get everybody in a buying plan because we know actuarially speaking, we are a much better product and fit for people as they, you know, go use their healthcare system via their conditions. The only thing we don't do is typically in 500 and below employees, 
there get difficult to slice because the two stop loss participants have to make a prediction about sure. who they're going to get and what they're going to get. So that's, that's a little harder. But if you're 500 and above, Vine's happy to come in and, and just come alongside of, you know, the traditional offering you've been making and just see if Bind is interesting to the, to the employees in that employer. Gosh, Tony, we've talked about a lot of good stuff. Before we end our, our time here, you know, you guys are a, a relatively new vendor in the marketplace. To date, you know, how many clients and members have you currently taken on? So we started building the company in early 2016. We didn't put our first customer on until mid-2017 as we were, you know, building out the entire infrastructure. So we're a full-stack insurance company. It took us, you know, it takes a long time to build that. Sure. Uh, we put Bind the employer up on it first when we were just 35 employees. Uh, we're now over uh, well over 100 employees in the in the company. We then put four additional customers on for the plan year of 2018, right around 2,000 members in the Bind plan. Mm-hmm. And then for one one, we're going to have over a dozen new employers, and we're going to be north of 50,000 covered lives that will be on the benefit come one one 2019. So you know, big growth. We think we're going to probably grow. We're going to do multiple factors on that uh, for one one twenty. We already have some early commits for one one twenty in the large case market. Can't announce those yet, but yep, yeah. So we think growth is going to be you know multiple X's from here on forward inside uh, Bind. And and for as far as the target market specific employer sizes, we just need people who can self fund. So we don't think of it as it's, this is only for the national case market or this is you know the mid market. We think about it as anybody who has enough capacity in terms of their employee base as well as their, their the cash flow realities of their business that can self fund. We help them become a self funded employer. So we've taken a couple of fully insured employers in the hundred to three hundred size and converted them from fully insured and self funded under the Bind program. We think that the way it works is. If you think you currently are have wasteful spending in your benefit plan and you want, you know, easy, affordable insurance for your employees, Bind is an answer you should look at. I think that's probably a, the, the best elevator pitch I, I've heard recently. <laughs> I like it. All right. So, Tony, if there was one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't, what would it be? Well, when do we roll this thing out into the non-ERISA self-funded employer space? So, is this product work in Medicaid, Medicare, or the individual market? So, we think this is a great product in all three of those markets, and we plan on announcing some expansions into those markets for 2021, and we'll just have the listeners wait until we make that announcement. But what's exciting is on-demand health insurance works for everybody at every age across any income class and helps people, again, find easy, affordable health insurance. I love it. Easy, affordable health insurance. Uh, you know, there's a need for it, and it's, it's good to... Good to speak with you and learn about your company and and what you're doing to tackle that problem. Well, Tony, on behalf of our listeners and myself, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I thought this has been a great discussion and uh, I really do think our listeners will benefit from it. Great. Thanks a lot, Michael. Great to talk to you today. You bet. And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. Um, With that, we'll sign off wherever you're at. We hope you have a great day and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reconstructing Healthcare. If you like what you heard here, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. If you're interested in continuing the conversation, please visit us at www.reconstructinghealthcare, where you can access the show notes for this episode and links to Bind's website and contact information. Lastly, be sure to check out some of the free resources on our website, including links to articles and books, as well as our Health Plan Innovator Scorecard, where you can benchmark your health plan against a plan that is truly designed to lower healthcare costs and improve value for your employees. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Reconstructing Healthcare Podcast.